Well, hello, Sharice. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, this is the Fortify podcast for Urban Village Church, helping us go deeper in the journey to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're talking to Sharice of Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn. Thanks, Sharice, for being with us this morning. Thanks so much, Eric, for having me. You got me up early on a Saturday, and so it's great to be with you. Yeah. We're talking to Sharice this morning about finances and discipleship, what it means to be people of faith and people who have to deal with money on a regular basis. And Sharice, you are a financial wealth expert. And I will be honest, I don't always know, or I don't really, I don't know at all what that title means. And I want to know more what it means for you and how you advertise yourself in the world. What is a financial wealth expert? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the question. And again, I want to thank you for having me this morning. Uh, when I think about financial wealth expert and what that means to me, uh, I will have to tell you that I have tried to coin that term for myself. And so it's probably not a term that a lot of people are familiar with. So your question is fair game. And so when I say financial wealth expert, I mean someone who is credible and can give advice and share real stories and share practical solutions for folks who want to take it to the next level when it comes to money and wealth building. And that's really important to me. I think it's important also to have some context as to how I even arrived at coining myself as a financial wealth expert because behind the classification is a story and, and a journey to have the life that I want for myself. And so if you don't mind, I'll just share a little bit about the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And I won't, I won't take up a lot of time. No, tell us. <laughs> I think it's important. And so, you know, when I went to college, I went to college uh, in New Haven um, in Connecticut, and I went to Yale University, and I felt really fortunate to be able to go. And at the same time, Paying for college was just a financial burden for my family. Yale doesn't offer um, merit scholarships, hmm. nor does it offer families who make a certain amount of money hmm. financial aid. And so my family was too rich, I would call hmm. it, uh, to... Uh, receive any financial aid, but too poor to write mm. checks to Yale. Yeah. And so both of my parents had both gotten two jobs when I went to school. Oh, wow. I, I worked my all four years of Yale and in the summers. I worked, so I worked as a student and then I also worked in the summers. And, you know, I knew the financial investment and that's what my mom really encouraged me to feel good about this choice for mm. not just me but for my entire family that it was an investment and that we're willing to make that investment in me and so I was I was really humbled by uh, both of my parents desire to make that kind of commitment to me and I really wanted to absorb all that Yale had to offer and no one in my family had been to an Ivy League school and and so it was like we all went you know, and so, 
Literally, we all went. You really did, yeah. We all went. Uh, that being said, when I was at Yale, I noticed the wealth disparities in the surrounding New Haven community between those folks who lived there and those folks who actually attended Yale. And my eyes opened to the amount of wealth that some people have. And that's great that if your family comes from wealth or you've earned that wealth, no judgment there. The fact of the matter is, is that there's a certain amount of cultural capital that comes along with that wealth that a family maintains. And that was present at Yale. And I learned and picked up some of that stuff. And so when I graduated, I wanted to go into an environment that, A, would allow me to pay back some of the loans that I had to take out. And I had to take out roughly $50,000 for myself. That doesn't include the loans that my parents took out. So I had a large student loan nugget. I wanted to learn how to build wealth for communities that I cared about because I had just seen how disparate that could be. And so I took myself to Wall Street working at J.P. Morgan. I was fortunate enough to earn a spot in their analyst program, in their investment management group. And what that group does is it invests money on behalf of large pension funds, big mutual funds that might sit in one's 401k plan, or if you go into a J.P. Morgan Chase bank or you have a brokerage account at Fidelity, you might be able to invest in one of those funds. And so I learned the art of investing by being on an investment team Hmm. where I pick stocks for a living. And so I had responsibility very early on in my career, and I was fortunate enough to earn a spot on a specific team and learn under someone who had done it for a very long time. And so I enjoyed investing. I enjoyed learning about how you make money out of the stock market and not just stocks. In order to learn how to make money in the stock market, you actually had to understand all of the various asset classes. And so when I say that, I mean stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, private equity, venture capital. These are terms that I'm sure you've probably heard before, but by and large, they provide the options that one must have or can have that can determine how much money they want to grow. (laughs) You know, stocks tend to earn more return than bonds and venture capital and private equity tend to earn more return than stocks. And so with that, I learned the world of investing. And I also uh, took the CFA, which is the Chartered Financial Analyst test, Uh, It takes three years to complete on average. You can only take one level per year. And I got my charter, which is the most recognized investment designation in the world. And so what the CFA did for me is give me the investing skill set to be credible in my craft. And I got the advice, learn this craft. And so that's what I really tried to do. Ultimately, though, as I was moving up in my career and getting promoted from analyst to associate to vice president, the next role for me would have been to be groomed for a portfolio manager. And this is the person who has full control of what stocks go into one particular fund. And so I said, do I really want to do this? Is this where I see myself 10 years from now? I had to do some soul searching and, you know, the answer came back, no, I felt God calling me to something different. And so instead of investing in the stocks, I wanted to be the one building a company that someone else could invest in. And so I decided, you know, I want to build a company that actually helps people with their money. 
you know, it's, uh, it seems, uh, like it all makes sense now, but at the time it was a very risky endeavor and, uh, it's still looking back, it's still risky, but I think I have put the narrative together such that I wanted to build a company that leveraged the skills I had learned over six years at JP Morgan and do so for the communities that I care about to get back to the initial reason why I went to JP Morgan was to learn how to build wealth. And so I left JP Morgan living in New York city. I moved to Chicago, decided to take a less risky approach to this business thing <laughs> by going to business school. And so I studied at the university of Chicago boot school of business. And it was there that I sowed the seeds to build a company that would help people with their money. And I found a partner. She'll actually be visiting uh, and staying with uh, my husband and I next weekend, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Her name is Adricia. And we together built a company called Smarties.com. And Smarties was a technology company that really tried to help college graduates figure out this whole financial world and start planning for the, the check that they would get you know, when they graduated, the debt that they would have to pay back. Yeah. And we built that company and learned a lot about that specific market. You know, it's it was very different from the market that I was serving when I was at JP Morgan. This is a market that didn't have a lot of investable assets. This is a market that, you know, was just really trying to figure out how do I do this income thing and still have fun as I graduate from college. So very different skill set, but I got to see the other side of the market and also live this entrepreneurial life, which is uh, one that is can be very, very tough and investing a lot of money. And so with the myriad of that experience between the startup, uh, working with a younger demographic, and then wanting to really be purposeful about my life, I, I eventually could not grow the business to a point that could sustain my lifestyle as well as my partners. And so we decided, my partner, my business partner, we decided to close the company. Um, and I decided, you know, it's really important for me to get financially stable, having now invested a ton in my company, having, you know, really given up a lot, all of the savings that I had, a lot of it, I invested into the company. And so it was now a point where let's stabilize Let's get a job that pays a salary uh, consistently. And then because my passion for finances still exists, how do I sort of create a lifestyle that is still purposeful to me? And so uh, fast forward a couple of years, I did some independent consulting. I worked for a, a small infrastructure company. And then in the last 12 months, I landed at a company called Next Street financial and providing financial advice on how to help businesses get to the next level. That's what I do by day. And what mm. I didn't want to give up by night or, you know, sometimes during the day uh, <laughs> is still my passion for getting my voice out there. And so I started the Sharice platform and it's a media platform just over a year and a half, just, just about a year and a half ago. And that platform allows me to get back to my roots of investing and get back to a community that I really care about. I mean, 
we are focused on giving a lot of advice to women. And I say we just because I have a team that really helps to support me in this work. Yeah. Uh, although it's my brand and it's uh, my thoughts, it's it's really a team effort that, that helps push the Cherie Says brand. And that's where I came up with the financial wealth expert concept. Because for me, I'm not giving one-on-one advice to individuals that I learned myself that is actually a really hard, scalable model to be successful at. You have to sell to a lot of clients. Most people don't want to pay for financial advice. It's just <laughs> a fact, right? You want to have more money, but you don't want to pay for it. But we, can, we can get into that later. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you know, I said, how can I actually make money and do something that I love? And what this platform allows me to do is to really do that. And so it's my second go at an entrepreneurial venture but I've learned so much that uh, the way that I've structured it is to uh, do a show where uh, sponsors can pay for the show to be underwritten. And so that gives the platform money. I do a lot of writing for American Express. They mm. pay me as a writer. Uh, and, and then I can support the cost of the Cherie Says platform and turn a profit. And that's... Great. Yeah. Uh, So and continue to but also give the advice and encouragement on investing and taking it to that next level. And so between that and my day job, the 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 convergence of those activities allows me in this space of a financial wealth expert. Wow. I in hearing that whole story altogether, I hear you have worked so hard since college and probably before that to get into Yale, like to continue to build yourself and build your skill set. But also you have worked so hard to continue to give back and to take risks. And I just really admire that. I admire your tenacity to continue to get out there. And I want to tell our listeners too, that I follow Cherie says, and your videos and also your blog and weekly, uh, regular emails. And they have been so helpful too, uh, as a woman who's trying to build some type of like lifestyle or life sustainability. It's really, um, you're like a big sister in a way offering advice that is practical, but also, um, helps me feel like I can do this absolutely, and not so overwhelmed. (laughs) That is so encouraging. That encourages me to keep doing it, right? Yeah. Tiring. Yeah. It's not easy uh, with the nine to five and a life partner and my husband and family. I mean, you know the deal. Yeah. Uh, You know, the purposeful life that we want to live. I mean, there's little hours in a day, but we want to do so much. So uh, I appreciate that. It, It warms me that folks can take the words that I put on paper or the visuals that I put online and, and use that to their purpose so that they can have the life that they want. Yeah. Well, we'll put links to, uh, some of your videos and then also the blog down below, um, or in connection to this podcast. But, uh, I love that you created your own title and are living into your financial wealth expert, uh, expertise. Um, for our listeners, we're talking specifically about what it means to be a person of faith and talking about finances. And so I'm wondering for you, how is money a part of a spiritual practice? If we believe that God is involved in 
all facets of our life. And money is something that we are tied up into. How is uh, financial wealth planning and uh, caring for our finances as a part of our spirituality as well for you? Absolutely. I think that's such an important question, uh, particularly because for most of us, and I would reckon all of us, we come in contact with money every day. Yeah. Yes. Like every day, multiple times a day. Whether we want to or not. Absolutely. Whether, I mean, we, we, we go through the motions. We don't really think about it in this way, but we touch money and we're, we're making choices all the time mm. about having something or not having something else. And that's a constant trade-off that we're making. And so I say that to say money surrounds us all the time. And if we are living the lives that we want to live from a faith lens and everybody obviously walks in their own journey. So I'll speak from mine. I'm trying to live my life from a faith perspective and really trying to do what God has called me to do on this life journey. So then how am I using the resources that and gifts that God has given me to do his work for which I am on this earth to do. Yeah. And so when I think about it from that perspective, I have been blessed immensely by uh, a loving family, a support network that gave me the opportunity to have some life experiences that are unique and that are uniquely mine. Everyone has something that is uniquely theirs. And Mine has been uniquely around this whole wealth world and investing and asset and entrepreneurship thing. And so I count that as God's way of trying to live through Sharice because that is my story. And so mm-hmm. in doing that, money as a part of my own way of sort of being in the world, I count that as God's grace and blessing for me. And I think when then we all touch money in some way, I think it's, it's, it's partly in, in, important for us to think about, well, how is God working through the money that I am being given uh, and, or I have been able to earn or I have been able to use? And I sure enough believe that God wants us to have uh, life and life abundantly And for me, that means all kinds of things, joy, uh, you know, nurturement and peace and grace. And with that, too, I think well-being and well-being is financial well-being. I mean, I think God intends for us to be okay. Um, And so when I think about uh, money as a spiritual practice and the things that God calls us to do with our money and not be selfish with it and to help build his kingdom with it, uh, whether that's through our tithes or offerings and to give to the homeless and give to the needy and making sure that your own family, though, has what it needs to be okay. All of that is interrelated for me. And so it's hard to think about one aspect and then compartmentalize that and then think about another aspect because they're all related. Again, back to my first point that you're trading off one thing for another every 
time you encounter money. And so that spiritual piece is embedded in that. And that's been sort of the approach I've taken. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about, um, interacting with money constantly. I think that's probably why Jesus talks so much about money in the Bible in, because, uh, we wake up thinking about money. We wake up thinking about culture and experience and God, like it's all intertwined. So I think that is such an important thing for us to acknowledge that money is a constant thing. We will never be able to get away from it. It is a part of the fabric of our being. And so by using it as a tool to get to know God better, rather than using it as something to be ashamed of or scared of, or to run from and see it as anti what God wants us to be about, but how is it like deeply connected and rooted in who God is calling us to be is really important. And so I appreciate that statement. I, um, so I lead from a space of vulnerability and transparency as a pastor, but also like as a human being. And so I wanted for our listeners to be kind of your, uh, put myself in the fishbowl, uh, to be an example, not that you are a personal financial advisor, you said that before, but I know that you have given great recommendations to people in some of the classes you've taught and on Sharice says. So I wanted to use myself as an example for our listeners and then uh, allow you to examine me a little bit. So is that okay? That's perfect. <laughs> um and I, I won't use uh, specifics like numbers because yeah. I have a partner who <laughs> doesn't want me airing all of our things. I know. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Money. I mean, people are, people talk about sports. People talk about I know. Movies, when it comes to money, it gets a little tricky. And depending on where you fall in the spectrum, it's, it's private. A lot of people yeah. And so... We can definitely chat and keep some things covered. Joel out there. <laughs> Poor Joel, honey, I love you. And I am TMI all the time. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> George, George was saying the same thing for me. So. <laughs> um, but so we have uh, a pretty significant amount of student loan debt. I don't know that it's like the most we've been very blessed with like scholarships and things like that, but we're working to pay off particularly my student loan debt because Joel will be a student for the end of time until Jesus returns. So, uh, we're just working on my student loan debt right now. And then we have some consumer debt. When I was in college, there was this trend of signing students up for credit cards, not teaching them or telling them what it is and like no financial responsibility and also just signing them up for tons and tons of credit cards. So I've got like weird credit cards. I've got all kinds of things out there, not all kinds of things out there. I have it under control, but like we are paying down some of that consumer debt that was built up over a period of time. And, uh, then we're also like thinking about what it means to grow our family. And Absolutely. yeah, and I I want some financial security built into that if we are able to do that. And are so you in having the same you know <laughs> it does. It brings up 
deep feelings of wanting to provide for someone else is what it does for me. And so I like get threw out a number, not even knowing if it was the appropriate amount, but said, we need to have this amount saved for, uh, welcoming someone else into our family. So, uh, with all of that in your mind, what would be your recommendations for myself, like as some steps to go forward? Absolutely. And that's, that's great context because it sets the stage for what kind of recommendations I can give. Great. Uh, everyone has a different situation and circumstance. And so it's really important to call it out for what it is up front. Mm. Everyone is coming from a different past, how they grew up about money, how mm. much valued, what also emotional stuff that might be attached to money because money is very emotional. Yeah. If, you know, if you come from also a family that you might not have had a lot, I mean, or you had a, an abundance, like those, those have implications. And then you throw another person in the mix in terms of mm. a partner and you got to then combine both of your views on money. And then you want to have potentially a kid and then you have to come together and do that. So it, there's a lot there. Um, and so as I sort of map out your, what you've just shared with me, and I think the very thing that you did, which is great, which is ask yourself and you and Joel together too, is what do we want to accomplish and what is the goal and priority for us at this moment in time, given the responsibilities that we have that might not be going away anytime soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you still have to pay those responsibilities and attend to those. And you still want to prepare for the things that you want. Right. right? And so the thing that you want might be different for somebody else. And so it's really important for folks to upfront, number one, define the two to three things that you want and over what time period. If we're talking about we want to plan for, you know, possibly expanding a family a year from now. That's great because it gives you some time to plan. If yeah. you were saying that we want to plan for it two months from now, well, one, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it could be another goal, right? It could be, I want to take a trip to Puerto Rico during Christmas time. Like, how do I make that happen? So, yeah. you know, there's some flexibility in terms of the goal, but also the duration of the goal is so important because that changes how you can plan to either meet that financially or not. Yeah. And so what I want to encourage you is number one, figure out all of the ways in which income is coming in. So whether that is through a job uh, that pays you a salary, whether that's through some side hustle money mm -hmm. or whether that's through scholarships you, you mentioned or whatever it is, you might be uh, expecting gifts from people. What I, you know, some right. people just have it like that. Um, and so figuring out what that number is, right? Because it's really hard to talk about what you can do with money unless you know how much money you have coming in and at what times. And so once you figure out how much money you have coming in, the next thing to do is figure out, well, what do I have going out? There are some certain things that won't change over time. Right. For me, it's, and I'm sure for you, it's, your housing expense. For most people, that is a constant. Right. And housing, in the way that I've thought about it, and many of the hundreds of people that I've talked to, if 
and I've gotten to this over time, if you can keep your housing expense under 20% of your combined money that's coming in, it gives you some flexibility. Wow. It just does. Yeah. Similarly, if you can keep all of your debts under 20% of that combined income, it gives you some flexibility. Yeah. It just does. You know, there's a lot of stats out there and a lot of uh, opinions there that says, well, you should keep your housing under, you know, uh, 25 or 35 or 30%. I disagree with that because when you keep it under 20%, you just, that because that cost is so fixed, it just gives you more optionality on what you can do with the rest of it. Yeah. And if you want to do other things and you have debt, it becomes more limited, the fact that the housing piece is so important. And that's, that's for most people, it's the biggest expense outside of taxes. Right, yeah. For you, right? You can't forget that. And so I think once you figure out what those numbers are, then you start to figure out, okay, now I have left some other fixed things that don't go away. For us, my husband and I both do gym membership. Mm. You know, we both have, we have car insurance, those are things, again, that are pretty stable that we know about that it would be really tough to cut Yeah. Uh, if I want more capacity to do other stuff with. And then you, you begin to say, wow, all right, if I do 20% housing, I do 20% debt, can I have 10% in savings and investing? Hmm. And I'm splitting them out because they are different. Okay. Saving being what do I need to have? put away now to save, to spend in the short term. And I say short term, I, I typically mean about a year. Okay. Uh, if I have things that I know I want to have in about a year, like how much do I need to put away? So if you're saying, you know what, I think we need about two to $3,000 just to set my place up for my baby. Like, right. That's real. Like, okay, yeah. how do I get to that nugget? And then it's not just that. Am I going to have expenses after that that are going to be new fixed expenses? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah stuff, right? It's all terrifying. Your house, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, well, does my child or us still need to have the same lifestyle? Like all of these things that, again, have trade-offs. And so my advice is that if your saving is 5%, I still want to invest because that might be the highest return for my money. I don't want to give that up, you know, five years from now. When I think about investing, I tend to think more post two to three years. So this is more like a five-year kind of window. You think about retirement being in that category. You think about if you're going to think about money for a kid, it's a investment vehicle, like a 529 plan, like all of these things now that I have to factor in. Mm. All right. Then you're like, Sharif, man, 20% house, 20% <laughs> debt. And then 10% saving and investing, that means I have like 50% left over mm. to do those other things. And again, those other things, some of them are fixed like a gym or car, or car insurance, but then I still have to eat and live and, right. you know, I want to go out. I want to do stuff. And so that it's in that piece though, that you begin to have the ability to, to shift. Now, my research and my experience has said when you make around total 35 to $40,000, Having more than 10% in saving and investing is really difficult. Even having 5% in that bucket is really difficult because you just do those numbers and it's just really hard. With wherever you live in the country, it's hard to have extra for saving and investing and still eat and live indoors. Yeah. 
when you get to the fifty to seventy-five thousand dollar range, saving and investing becomes so much more manageable, um, and con- that you can consistently do it without feeling like you're living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. When you're at the thirty-five forty, it's it's really hard to do it without living feeling like paycheck to paycheck. And then when you get a hundred and over that, you really can blow out and try to put a little bit more money towards saving and investing. The problem is that when people usually get to that route, they also bump up the housing. They mm. also bump up the uh, other things. So they, they're trying to live a higher lifestyle, which, again, you say, I make more money. I should be able to buy nicer clothes or go on more trips. That is true. But, again, that, those are the trade-offs that you're going to have to make. And so one of my biggest pieces of advice is that if you can find ways to increase your income and keep the cost basis the same, and take the additional income and put that into your saving or investing bucket, you begin to plan for things that you really want to have. Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, I think it's, again, important to remember where you are in terms of the income coming in and the sources. And if you're not happy with that, what are ways that you can increase the income piece? Because a lot of people want to talk about decreasing the cost, but let's talk about increasing the income because as mm. I just shared with you, when you have even get to the, certain levels, it just changes things dramatically for you with the sort of guidelines that I gave you around housing and debt. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and I think that's totally different. We do talk a lot about the scarcity mentality of um, decreasing the cost and not about the abundance idea that there's probably more out there that we're not advocating for ourselves for. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about well, how can I increase my salary? Like, Ask for those raises. Negotiate up front when you're actually coming into an organization. Mm. Uh, the, the research shows that when you switch jobs, that's the most important time to jump up in terms of salary. Yeah. You know, how am I leveraging a skill set that I'm not getting paid for today and get paid? I mean, I mentioned that I write for American Express. That is a paid writing gig. Yeah. And it gives me the extra income to invest in a business that's going to throw off passive income. So mm. I'll take that trade. And yeah. so we need to begin to think about ways to wealth build and income, you know, increase that gives us more opportunity to have some passive income uh, so that it's always doesn't feel like a grind. Right. Yeah. It's like a grind. It's like, I don't have time. I, I can't do that. It just, it's really tough. Yeah. And this idea, so Jesus talks a lot about, you know, the whole idea of the kingdom of God, which is the one thing he talks about more than talking about money. The One of the only things he talks about more than talking about money is that there is an abundance. There is enough of God's kingdom for all to have. Um, so we shouldn't be living in this fearful scarcity mentality, but living, knowing that God cares for us and loves us and wants us to advocate for ourselves in a way. Mm. But also Jesus says lots of things about money that uh, can sometimes feel problematic, particularly sell all your possessions and give everything to the poor. And so I'm wondering how you would, I have lots of feelings about that and we're not going to go into like a exegesis of that passage today, although we could at other dates. And Carolyn Roncolato made a really great video, I'll link below that people can watch talking a little bit more about uh, Jesus and economics specifically, but how do you recommend that we be faithful disciples and what do we do with Jesus' statements about selling all of your possessions and giving to the poor? What does that mean for you? 
Man, you just put me on blast right here on the UBC podcast. Yeah, welcome, welcome. <laughs> that's how we're that's how we're doing. Things. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, that's obviously the great piece about being in a community that really tries to stretch and deal with some of these hard realities and what's said in the book that we go to for guidance and for mm. uh, nourishment. And so I think, I think it's always important when we look at scripture um, and I try to approach this for myself is what's the context in which God uh, and right for in this specific instance with Jesus is talking to us and like, what is the context of what's being said and making sure we understand the full picture of what is happening at this time and uh, when you sent me this, and I'll just be upfront. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't have this memorized, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the whole verse right now as we speak, and I mean, basically, this comes from um, from Matthew 19, and that specific verse uh, comes from Matthew 19:21. And I would encourage folks actually to read the whole chapter because the whole chapter is talking about the the rich and the kingdom of God and how difficult it is for people who do have a lot of money uh, and a lot of wealth to follow God because it seems like all of their needs are answered by having money in and of itself. Mm. And I think the point of this passage, because Jesus then goes on to say like, man, and this is after the man went away sad because he had a, he heard this and he was like, man, I'm sad now. And, and he had a lot of, because he had a lot of wealth. Then Jesus said, and this is in verse 23, it says, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and then it goes on to say, you know, with man, it's impossible to do this, but with God, all things are possible. And I think the essence of this passage is really about how can we exist in this world with God as opposed to without God. Mm. And sometimes when we have money and wealth, it makes us feel as if we don't need God because it seems on surface. And in sometimes in reality that the more money you have, the more things are available to you, the more access you have. Mm. And that's difficult to reconcile that with, well, I don't need God then. Like everything's good. I'm good. Uh, and we know, I mean, a lot of times we rely on God when things are not good. And right. So I think really what this passage is saying, I mean, it's still, again, it's still hard to grapple with. And I, again, encourage people to sit with the whole chapter and sit with all of Matthew um, to really unpack like the consistencies uh, of this message with other areas of, of Matthew, where one of my favorite verses, and this is in Matthew 20, uh, excuse me, Matthew 6, verse 26, it says, um, you know, 25 and 26, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what mm. you eat, you will drink about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And so it's not really about the things that wealth can get us all the time. It's about, again, living this purpose, being here because you will have a purpose and something to offer this world. That's Girl, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> who can worry by adding a single hour to the life? How are we going to be stressed out about this money thing? And like, man, it's, it creates a lot of stress. And so I think God knows that. Yeah. And I think he's trying to give us uh, words to encourage us. Like, you can't do it by yourself. You might mm. have the extra money right now, but come on, lean on me. And 
let's work through this. Let's yeah. have, figure out how to get more income, not not just sitting on your butt and like just like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to deal with this? But be purposeful and intentional and take action. Yeah. Like that is what I believe. And although, again, this passage makes us pause, like really sell everything? Like what is really Jesus really trying to say? And if I think if we um, broaden and look for the messages that Jesus lives or and speaks, not just in Matthew, but throughout the New Testament and, and in parts of the Old Testament, again, that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, I think we have to look at Jesus's body of work and look for the consistencies and where there are inconsistencies, what's the context, who is writing the narrative right. and begin to pull apart why is being said, what is being said. And that is the piece though. That's the hard work that actually brings us closer to God. And man, that's the whole point. Right? Yeah. And it's, the audience too, who Jesus, I love that you brought in Matthew six and um, the idea that this is about reorienting our whole lives towards understanding that God is providing for us, not using money as not being tempted to use money as a tool to make us feel better about ourselves, but trusting that we are whole beings loved by God for who we are and to not use money uh, to oppress others or because the temptation is like money can be used to oppress me as a person who makes 35 to $40,000 a year. But also the temptation when I do reach that bracket, hopefully someday where I'm not living paycheck to paycheck, the temptation then is to just sustain myself rather than tearing down these unjust systems that continue to oppress the people in the thirty-five dollars to $40,000 bracket. And so it's looking at the whole picture of Jesus's body of work, but also the whole picture of what our economy is based off of too, and how we can be caring for each other as faithful followers of Jesus. You girl, it's clear you went to some really good schools and have been following Jesus for a while. <laughs> I love uh, your interpretation. That's great. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing of yourself and sharing with me and with our listeners this morning. This has been such a gift, and I really appreciate what you do and your involvement in our community um, at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn, but also as UBC as a whole, this is like kind of our, as a podcast, a gift to all of our folks to let them experience how they can see money as a spiritual practice and how they can view God as tied up in their concerns and desires to uh, care for themselves financially and for the world. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be here and to share and for giving me the gift and the opportunity to just be with you this morning. Uh, I am humbled. And so thank you so much. Thanks, Sharice. So everybody go out and check out Sharice Says. Uh, There's links below here. And um, thanks for being followers of Jesus and doing this work together with us. We have learned a lot this morning and we'll continue to Uh, do these podcasts every once in a while based around whatever the sermon series is talking about at that time. And if you have found this podcast to be life-giving and 
helpful in your journey, we ask that you consider giving financially to UBC because your financial gifts help make uh, projects like this a possibility. And so you can give by going to urbanvillagechurch.com backslash give. Uh, you can also give through push pay, which is an option or by texting. I think it's nine, seven, seven, nine, nine. That's not right, but I'll figure it out and let you know how you can give and sustain this work that we do. So thanks so much, Sharice. And I will look forward to giving you a big hug next time I see you. You know, I'm going to give you a hug. Oh, girl. Thanks. Nice and, nice and, nice and tight. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>